Are you ready for the word this morning? I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling the glory that never fades. And what I want you to see through the message today is that the father's view and opinion about you and me and us and we, the father's view and opinion about us never changes. Why? Because of the new covenant that Jesus cut with him on the cross, the new covenant called grace, his view and opinion never changes. Listen, he is always, always thinking good things about us. He's never thinking bad thoughts about us. I want to draw your attention this morning to this picture on the PowerPoint screen. And for those that are listening by podcast, you have no idea what the congregation is seeing. They're looking at an automobile. Oh, she's beautiful red, deep red color. She's got keystone spoke wheels on her. It's a 1966 Buick Riviera. I took that picture. The year was 1981. I was 20 years old. That was my car. I had an inordinate affection for that car. I'll be honest with you. I mean, that was my baby. I mean, that car was my world. And, and you can understand that with 20-year-old kids, especially ones that don't know Jesus, right? It was the uh, most favorite vehicle that I had ever owned. She was not only classy, but she was sassy. She never came in second place. And every time I got behind the wheel of that car, I thought, man, what a machine! What power! I mean, underneath that hood, I don't know, man, it had a motor that would just get up and go! I used to think, how many horses are under this hood? I did. I can't tell you how many times I washed that car. I can't tell you how many times I vacuumed that car and I got my armor all out and I shined that dash and those seats. And I can't tell you how many times I turtle waxed that vehicle. But that car's glory would ultimately fade, not only in the physical sense, but also concerning my view and opinion of it. Now imagine with me for a moment that I would have kept that vehicle. I would have held on to that vehicle until my firstborn son was old enough to drive. That means I would have had to hold on to that vehicle for 26 more years. You see, I didn't have children until 10 years from the time I took that picture. He'd have to be 16 before he started driving. That means I would have had to hold on to that vehicle for 26 years. But then imagine I gave that vehicle to my firstborn son as a gift. If my son's life would have been taken while driving that vehicle, I can tell you with certainty that I would have never looked at that vehicle the same way. Here's the important thing. Even if it wasn't the vehicle's fault. Why? Because that vehicle that I thought would bring pleasure only produced death. My view and opinion of that vehicle would have been turned upside down. The cross was the vehicle that took the life of Christ. I love the cross. I do. I love the cross. But without the resurrection, I wouldn't look at the cross the same way. 
My view and opinion of the cross is shaped based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without an empty grave, the cross would be a constant reminder of death. We celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. Why? Because we know that the story didn't end at the cross. That's where it started. And I was thinking about that last night and I thought, man, little did Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee realize, but the body they held in their hands, the body that they were preparing for burial was filled with the glory that never fades. Jesus' lifeless body did not alter the Father's view and opinion of His Son. You see, within three days, the glory that never fades would come bursting forth with a mighty triumph over His foe. His victory, friends, was our victory. I want you to remember that. His love is our love. His life is our life. His death was our death. You know, we sing the song once in a while. Everything is mine in you. Everything is mine in you. Now, I want you to perpendicular park those thoughts next to each other for just a second. My son and his son, daddy's son, as we compare the natural with a spiritual truth. I am passionate about people seeing this gospel of grace. I'm passionate about people seeing the difference between the two covenants. I'm passionate about it because people are bleeding all over the place. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, we find these words. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But God found fault with the people. Not the covenant, but he said, I found fault with the people. And here's what God said. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. When you read those two scriptures at first glance, there appears to be this subtle hint that there might be something wrong with that first covenant. The first covenant, sometimes we call it the Mosaic law. Sometimes we call it the old covenant. They're kind of one in the same, but it appears to be like there's some hint that there might be something wrong with it because it begins by saying, for if that first covenant had been faultless. So let's just go ahead and ask the question right out of the gate. Was there something wrong with the first covenant? Was there something wrong with the old covenant? Was there something wrong with the law? Did it have a fault? Let me tell you something. That question would be like giving me a pair of baby socks as a birthday present and then looking at the quizzical face that I would make and you go, is there something wrong with the gift? Friends, there may not be anything wrong with the gift itself. The gift itself is perfect, but those socks no longer fit me. And the old covenant no longer fits believers. It had no faults in itself, but it no longer fits us. You get that picture in your head? Can you see that? Why? Why doesn't it fit us anymore? Because the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross rendered the old covenant obsolete and believers do not need both covenants in the kingdom we live in. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, I love this scripture. I show it to you quite frequently. But in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, look at these words. It says, by calling this covenant new, 
He has made the first one obsolete. The first what? The first covenant. The old covenant. He's made that first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The word obsolete is biblically defined as worn out, waxed old. That's what it means to be obsolete. The old covenant's fault, if it had a fault, is simply this. It did not contain the pardon for sin, the absolute total pardon for sin. And if that provision was not built into the old covenant, it wasn't because God forgot to put it in there and later on went, oops, I forgot to put that in there. No, he, he knew right up front, I'm not going to put that in there. Then that is not what it was designed to do. If it was not built in from the gate, it was not designed to pardon sin. So then it's not at fault. You can't blame the old covenant because it didn't forgive sin. It didn't pardon sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ can pardon the sin. Friends, <laughs> the old covenant was baby socks until the cross. That's it. The cross is a one size fits all. Its currency is grace and faith. Because of the cross, I've said it before. Let me say it again. All lives matter. Black lives matter, white lives matter, brown lives matter, blue lives matter. Hey, you even heard that one, have you? Blue lives matter, friends. Red lives matter. Yellow lives matter. All lives matter because of the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Who's them? It's the whole world. All lives matter. Not everybody has that revelation but all lives matter to Christ. They do. If the vehicle that I once idolized took my son's life, then there is no way that I would have repaired that vehicle and ever driven it again. You see, the vehicle that would have been beautiful to me at one time would have been unbearable now because it would have been a constant reminder of the life it snuffed out, a life more beautiful than the vehicle itself. I've said this before, let me say it again. Nobody in their right mind would hang a picture on their wall from the accident scene that claimed a loved one. Now let me show you a picture here. Now that is not just some random picture I took off the internet. I have touched that vehicle. I've been up close and personal because I know somebody that was in that vehicle. That took place in 1996. And believe it or not, you are looking at the front of the car. I know it looks like the side, but when you hit an oak tree at 120 miles an hour, that's what it looks like. I want you to make note where the steering wheel's at. Do you see it up there? We're talking about a massive impact. Four teenagers, all 17 years of age, were in that vehicle. One of them was my nephew, Chris. And two hours before they hit that tree, my nephew, Chris, was out knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. He is the only one that lived out of that vehicle. He had one little scratch on his leg Yet the other three teenagers were mangled so bad, not one of them could be shown in a casket. 
Now, let me ask you the question again. Can you imagine if you're the parents of those three young boys whose lives were snuffed out, can you actually imagine hanging that picture on your wall as a piece of artwork? You'd be crazy to do something like that. To hang such a thing on the wall would be a constant reminder of death. And likewise, to hang the law around our neck is a constant reminder of death. The Word of God tells us that the law does two things. It brings wrath and it brings death. That's what the law does. And if you put yourself under the law, it brings death. It brings wrath. If my son died while in the car that I gave him, then never again would I want to grip the steering wheel of that car. Never again would I want to sit in the driver's seat of that vehicle. You know why? Because it would be a constant reminder to me of failure. It'd be a constant reminder of condemnation. It'd be a constant reminder of death. It's a graphic illustration, I understand, but I want to drive home a deeper and more meaningful point that I'm passionate about as I Everywhere I go, instruct the body of Christ to let go of Moses' vehicle. It won't help you. Let go of the vehicle that has been scrapped. That is the Mosaic law. I know it's tough because we grew up in churches where they preach the law. You better watch out. I mean, even we sing it in Christmas songs. You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Like he's going to withhold something from you if you're not on your best behavior. The father's view and opinion of you is always good. If he didn't withhold his only begotten son, he won't withhold a thing from you. We got to quit getting offended so easily, friends. The law is offensive. But we get offended by people sometimes. I left here to go get Lola's cake this morning and I was driving down the road to go to Piggly Wiggly. And I got to a stoplight and the lady was next to me in a truck and she was smiling at me and waving her hands. And I, I rolled down my window. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you realize it's 45 miles an hour down this road? I said, I said, yes, I do. I said, why? How fast was I going? She said, 38. <laughs> and the first thing I thought, well, can I help you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just smiled and I said, oh, okay. I mean, what are you going to say? You know, but there are people that would say, you know, mind your own business. Get all offended because they're not walking in grace. They're just under the law and the law is so rigid and it's been giving them a beat down all week long. And then this is what comes out. I tell you, you want to know what's inside of you. Just get challenged in the spur of the moments like something like that. I just went, I thought she was going to tell me I was going 60, but I know I don't speak. So I was really puzzled by the whole thing. I was. I was really puzzled by this thing. We have to let go of the vehicle that has been scrapped. That is the law. Let go of the worn out and waxed old covenant. Trade your oxidized view and opinion for the glory that never fades. When we think about the old covenant, the scriptures plainly tell us that the law came with glory. Does it say that? Yes, it does. It says the law came with glory, but here's the deal. It says it was a transitory glory. The new covenant comes with glory too, but it's a glory that never fades. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, we find these words. 
Now, if the ministry that brought death, what ministry is he talking about? The law. He says, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, just in case you didn't think he was talking about the law, he's going to tell you, look, it was chiseled out in letters on stone. He said, the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, plainly, he says there, he says, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? Friends, do you see that word? Transitory, like flowers left at a gravesite here one moment, beautiful one moment, but gone a week later. Transitory. Friends, let me tell you something. A man can only be young once, but he can be immature for a lifetime. It's so true. Spiritual maturity begins when one decides to take off the baby socks of the old covenant. I'm glad you like that. I didn't realize that would get that rise out of you. I didn't even think about including it into the sermon until I was thinking about it last night. And I was just looking it over and I thought, man, you know, I mean, I know you're only young one time, but you can just be immature forever. And I meet people like that all the time. And I think, how long have you been saved? Oh, I've been saved for 50 years. I was talking to a, a family member a couple of nights ago over the phone and had a couple of strokes recently and younger than me even and and uh, had a couple of strokes recently. And I said, friend, uh, I said, you need, I said, your greatest need is Christ. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ. Not getting out of the nursing home, not learning how to use the left side of your body all over again. Your greatest need is Christ. And he said, well, I know I need to go to church. I said, no, Christ. He said, I know, brother. He said, I need to get my life cleaned up. No, Christ. He said, but I got to get my life cleaned up first. No, you don't. That's what he does. He cleans your life up. You don't clean fish before you catch them, okay? You catch the fish and then you clean it, okay? And this is what the Father does. He, he catches us and then he cleans us all up, amen? He does. Amen. Uh, we, <laughs> he said, uh, I'm laying here in a bed. He said, it, it ain't that easy. I said, yes, it is. I said, in fact, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was laying in a bed. Don't tell me he can't come and visit you in a bed. You don't have to be in a church. He said, well, brother, he said, I love God. I said, do you know Jesus? Well, no. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your savior? Well, no. I said, then do it now. Well, it ain't that easy. We just kept going around. I said, yes, it is. I said, friend, you may think you love God, but you don't love God. The Bible says, he who has not the son has not the father. You might have some sort of admiration like I had for that 1966 Buick Riviera. You may have something like that, but you don't love him. You may love what he'll do for you, but I'm telling you, when you come to Christ, you will fall in love with him. And when you see his heart, that his heart is always mercy. It's always grace. It's always glory, a view, an opinion of you that is good. Then you'll fall in love with him. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we find these words, and this is where people get stuck. I'm going to read it for you from the message translation. I like this one above them all. It, look what it says. It says, are you tired? <laughs> Come on. Anybody tired in here? All right, good. Are you tired? Oh, let's take it a step further. Are you worn out? <laughs> oh, let's get that third one in there. Are you burned out on religion? Okay, what do you do about that? Now, these are Jesus' words, essentially. Okay, they've been paraphrased a little bit, but Jesus is the one who's talking. He said, come to me. That's a great start. Oh, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. He says, get away with me and you will recover your life. Oh, what? You'll learn how to walk again. You'll learn how to talk again. He said, you're going to recover your life. If you've ever lost files on a computer, there's this desperation mode you go into because you think all this is gone and you're trying to recover your data. And sometimes you can and sometimes you cannot. And sometimes you call in extra troops to help you. I did that to one of Valerie's messages one time. She preached a marvelous message when we were in our first building. Oh, what a beautiful message it was. And I edited that thing. I spent three hours training another guy how to edit them. And when I was done, it flashed something up on my screen. And I said, yes, too quick. And that file was gone forever. I walked out in the other room with the friend I was training. And I looked at Valerie and I said, I don't know how to tell you this but your message is gone. She said, gone? What do you mean gone? She said, you mean like in poof? I said, well, that's a good way to say it, darling, like in poof, gone. <laughs> Jesus is saying here, he says, you will recover your life. Life. Why are you here? We all have one thing in common today. We're all alive. I hope we're all enjoying life. Lola's getting ready to move to Kentucky. She's got another chapter of life that she wants to go into. She's enjoying life. She's going to go recover her life down there. He says, you'll recover your life. I love this. He said, I'll show you how to take a real rest. But I'm going to show you how to take a real rest. What's he saying there? He said, I'm going to show you how to take your baby socks off. Real rest. I'll deposit into your mind a glory that never fades if you'll come to me, if you'll get away with me, if you'll walk with me, if you'll work with me, if you'll watch how I do it. And that's what he says. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Look at those words. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love those words. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Now, listen, I've said this before. I was a drummer in high school. I know what unforced rhythms are. Unforced means it's effortless. That's what unforced means. It means just effortless. And rhythms is just a beat. That's what a rhythm is. It's a beat. Learn the effortless heartbeat of grace. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Learn his heart. Forget about information. Look for revelation. Look for personalization. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm so passionate about this. And then he says, I won't lay anything 
heavy or ill-fitting on you. You know what he's saying? You won't have to spend every Saturday waxing the Ten Commandments and shining them all up. He said, I'm not going to lay anything like that on you. He says, keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You like freedom? I love freedom. I love living freely. I love living lightly. I don't want to be burdened down. I don't want a millstone around my neck. I don't want the law burden me down. I want to live freely and lightly. Amen. Come on now, you're going to have to help me out in this one. Have you ever noticed that most people, most people, the majority of people, do not want to engage in political or spiritual conversation? Have you noticed that? You want to know why? You want to know why? It's because their identity, whether Democratic or Republican, their identity, whether word of faith or finished work of grace, their identity, whether Pentecostal or Catholic, their identity is wrapped up in a view and opinion that they don't want messed with. Did you hear what I said? They don't want their identity messed with and you might tell me something that's going to make me think. See, I don't have to think. It's like a river. A river doesn't have to think. It just follows the banks. It doesn't have to do any thinking. It just keeps following the banks. And there's so many people walking through this world. They're just following the banks. The banks that granddaddy laid when he was your pastor at one time. And you said, well, granddaddy can't be wrong. Granddaddy must have had the perfect revelation. Listen, friends, the Bible says we all know in part. None of us have full truth. We're all learning. We are. When people say, listen... I don't want to talk about those two subjects. Come on, let me see your hands. How many people have had somebody say that to them? I don't discuss politics and religion. Come on. If nobody has ever said that to you, you have not opened your mouth. You've been talking about the weather too long, friends. You start talking about Jesus, you start talking about President Trump or somebody, and I'm going to tell you something. You'll see what comes out of people. Friends, people don't want to take their baby socks off. I've got comfortable in the baby socks. Ridiculous. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 again. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Like my 1966 Buick Riviera, the ministry of death had a shine. I'm not going to take that away from it. It had a shine. Friends, it had a turtle wax finish. The Bible declares that the law is righteous. The Bible declares that the law is good. The Bible declares that the law is holy. In fact, the word even actually goes to the extreme to tell us that the word is perfect, that the law is perfect. Look at these words. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law is perfect in the sense that it did perfectly that in which it was designed to do. If the law had a resume, its accomplishments and accolades would read as follows. I humble the self-righteous. <laughs> I condemn ungodliness. I bring souls to Christ and then I am no longer needed. There's my resume. You say, Pastor Mark, why are you so passionate about letting go of the law? Because it will steal, it will kill, and it will destroy your peace and your rest. Not your salvation. 
Your salvation is a finished work. You cannot undo what Jesus has done on the inside of you. He has put eternal life on the inside of us. That cannot be changed. But you can be in a situation where you don't find rest. You just can't find rest in your soul. You're always irritated. You're always agitated. You're always stirring. You just can't seem to find rest. You're searching for something. You don't even know what it is. You're searching for this peace and this rest. The more you bring in the law, the more you bring in the commandments like this of God and try to live by this standard, the more unrest you'll be at in your soul. Listen to me. The electricity that is running in the walls and in the ceiling of this building bring great blessing. We have the comforts of air conditioning as I look around. We have the comfort of lighting. We have the PowerPoint. We had music earlier. We have microphones right now. We have recording equipment. And so that electricity is working perfectly. But friends, let me tell you something. Grab a hold of it one time and you'll find it wasn't meant for you. That which is doing a perfect job in your hands or on your body, you'll find is an enemy of yours. Do you get that picture? Do you see that? It's not your friend. It's not there to be your friend. It's designed for one thing, and it is to operate certain things. That's what it's for. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, we find these words. It says, wherefore the law, not a law, but the law, the Mosaic law, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by the law. The law brought us to Christ at, like a schoolmaster, that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith has come, after the faith has done its work, after the faith has established the relationship with God, it says we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Is that what it says? Please uh, meditate on that scripture. Lock it in your heart this morning. As perfect as the law was, it made no one or nothing perfect. You say, Pastor Mark, can you explain what you just said? I sure can. I want to preface my explanation, first of all, by saying this. I have a deep love and I have a deep appreciation for the law enforcement men and women who wear these badges and these uniforms and have guns. I mean, they keep our neighborhoods. They keep our communities safe. I have a deep love for them. I have a deep appreciation for them. Now, this is my thoughts on the thing. I believe that they are underpaid. I believe they're underappreciated. I believe they're overworked, and I believe they're undersupported. And I think you would agree with that. These men and women do what they do for the same reason I pastor a church, the same reason I minister the gospel. It's a calling from the inside. It's something that we can't explain. We know what we've been called to. And I believe God calls people, yes, to every field, including law enforcement. And whatever you're called to, even though you can't explain it, I think Jerry Lewis said it best at the end of his telethons. He used to say, one who knows needs no explanation. One who doesn't, no explanation will suffice. We know from the inside. We don't do it for money. Cops are underpaid. The average starting wage in Milwaukee for a police officer is $38,000. That's $19 an hour, $38,000 a year. Are you kidding me? Why would you sign up for something like that? It's in your blood. It's a calling. It's a calling that you have. Now, 
Having said that, I want to say this. If every police officer and every minister in this world were absolutely perfect in all of their duties, in all of their conduct, in all of their ways, in all of their abilities, they still wouldn't have the ability to make a single person perfect. The law was not put in place by God to make Israel perfect. The law was to protect them and to light them up with a transitory glory. Perfect conduct is not what makes us perfect. Sacrifice is what makes us perfect. Not yours, but his. That's what made us perfect. His sacrifice on the cross. Under the old covenant, you had to keep washing yourself. Under the old covenant, you had to keep shining yourself. Under the old covenant, you had to keep vacuuming up all your dirt. Under the old covenant, you had to keep waxing yourself. Why? Because the glory was always fading. Under the new covenant, we are clean forever. We never need washing again. Why? Because his blood worked. Because his sacrifice worked. And we have been given the glory that never fades. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, we find these words. I like this scripture. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's worth meditating on, isn't it? What passed away? The cleaning supplies. Gone. The vacuum cleaner. Gone. Passed away. The turtle wax, gone under the new covenant. Friends, according to that scripture, the old covenant passed away. The old heart passed away and the old man passed away. We were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Papa has placed glory on the inside of us. What kind of glory am I talking about? I'm talking about the glory that never fades. The law made nothing perfect. The law protected God's chosen people and it set them apart from all the other nations. But once again, the law made nothing perfect. The law was a fading glory. It would take the glory that never fades to make man perfect. Exterior glory fades. Inner glory never fades. Now, having said that, behind our English word glory is the Greek word doxa. Let's see what doxa looks like. Here's what it translates at God's view and opinion. Doxa, glory. Yes, it's the presence of the Lord, but it's God's view and opinion too. In the New Testament, doxa always refers in a good sense, never a bad sense. Always good. That God's view and opinion is always good of us, not in a bad sense now. In the New Testament, doxa, is the view and opinion of God concerning us, resulting in praise, honor, glory, splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace. What a word! What a Greek word! Did you know that the Father's view and opinion of us is always in a good sense? Daddy is never thinking bad thoughts about us. The reason we have anarchy and rioting in our streets and sometimes our own hearts as well is because people cannot hear 
the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit over the vacuum cleaner of the Old Covenant. It makes a noise. It rattles in your spirit. I mean, my wife can't hear me when she just has the fan on above the stove making that noise, much less a vacuum cleaner. The Bible says he speaks to us in this gentle, still voice. That means you got to turn stuff off. Like an old covenant speaking at you, telling you that you've got to do this to be right with God. You've got to do that to be right with God. That's a vacuum cleaner, man. That's sucking the life out of you. People have not learned the unforced rhythms of grace. They have a wax on, wax off ideology about God because they have been operating by transitory feelings. See, you let your feelings and your emotions start making your decisions. I'm telling you what, they are transitory. They come and go. You know that about your feelings, don't you? You know that about your emotions. But we miss out on hearing the unforced rhythms of grace simply because we're operating by these transitory feelings. People have not learned that an inordinate affection for inanimate objects is not what life is about. At one time, that car was my life. Every guy hated it and every girl loved it. Baby socks over the glory of God. Friends, you'll never discover the beauty of the glory that never fades until you are willing to explore the truth that your identity results in praise, honor, glory, splendor, brightness, and all these wonderful attributes of God. You say, Pastor Mark, are you giving people a license to sin? Friends, let me tell you something. I can't give you something as simple as a fishing license. I don't have any license to give you. I never promote sin. Sin is terrible. It will wreck your life. It will wreck those around you. So I never propagate that message. But you ever notice when you buy a fishing license or a hunting license, you go looking for a reason to use that license, don't you? And see, that's what we get accused of sometimes. You're saying, man, you're always talking about God's goodness and God's grace and God's unconditional love. Now, you got to balance that with God's justice. Friends, his view and opinion of you is good. He's not looking to judge you. He's not looking to condemn you. He's not looking to slam you into an oak tree at 120 miles an hour. His view and opinion of you is good things. So no, we don't give people a license to sin. Sin is not Papa's heart. Sin will hurt you and kill you. As New Covenant believers, we are not under the law. We are under grace. We are not looking for ways to sin, even though our sins are not counted against us. That doesn't mean we look for opportunities to be careless, opportunities to be heartless, opportunities to be dishonest. How many of you know that when you mow grass, you're going to kill some insects? I mean, is that, is that reasonable? You're going to have some flies in the grass. You're going to have some gnats in the grass. God made those creatures. You're going to have all kinds of things in the grass, right? But that doesn't mean if a beautiful monarch lands in front of your mower as you're mowing, you just go, <laughs> you know, I, I was mowing on Friday afternoon and I had this little bitty toad come hopping across the front of the lawnmower. And I thought, well, I'm under grace. And so I'd stop and let him hop out of the way. You know why I did that? 
I had a view and opinion that was good for that little frog. I did. Three or four years ago, I was mowing the grass and a snake. I hate snakes. I mean, I hate them with a passion. 18-inch long snake came slithering out. And the first thing I thought, I mean, I heard the voice in my head say, run him over. I, I, I did. That was my voice, of course. It wasn't God's voice. Come on. You know that wasn't God, right? I mean, I did. I heard the voice go, run him over. And I had him dead in my sights. I mean, he was right in front of me. And he was doing all this stuff, you know, and I thought, I'm going to have a good view and opinion of you today. And I'm going to let you move out of the way here. Friends, listen to me. We were all toads at one time. We were all snakes in the grass at one time. But the reason God didn't run us over with the lawnmower is because He had a view and opinion about us. He had a doxa glory view and opinion about us that said, no, He said, I will sacrifice my own son before I'll do something like that. What love! Come on, look at the love that He has for us. Now that doesn't mean before I mow grass, I'm going to get down on my knees and comb the grass and get every little bug out of there. If you're there and you're there, I'm sorry. It's too bad, so sad for you. But look, I'm not looking for ways to kill things. I'm not looking for ways to sin. If I sin inadvertently as I go, well, they say there's no such thing as inadvertent sin, but you know what I'm saying. In other words, when you hadn't planned on doing it, it wasn't premeditated, all of a sudden it slipped out. Maybe it was a bad thought. Maybe it was a bad word. Maybe it was a bad action. I don't know. I'm not looking for opportunities to do that. I'm a checklist kind of guy. You ask my wife, I'll have 30 or 40 things on a checklist at home. One of them, I guarantee, isn't ways to sin today. I guarantee it's not on the list. I guarantee it. No, it's not there. And you know what's even better than that? I don't even put on their ways not to sin. I don't think about sin. I think about Christ. I think about the Son. And when He is on your mind... And when the view and opinion of God is the same way his view and opinion of himself for you and you for him, it changes everything. It really does. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, we find this truth. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. Isn't that beautiful? That is a shepherd's heart right there. That should be a pastor's heart right there. Not because you have to, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain. In other words, not trying to hand out license for everybody to go and sin. That is not our heart. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that causes us to repent. It says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to say no. Not the law. Grace does. It says, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Look at these words now. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Friends, the inspiration for this message was birthed out of those scriptures right there. So often we can take a simple word like you're looking at right there, the word appears and think of it only in future tense because it's saying, and when the chief shepherd appears. 
But the word appears actually means to make known. Now, it can speak to us in the present time when we think about that in that way. In other words, what it's saying is when Jesus Christ, he's the chief shepherd, when Jesus Christ is made known, <laughs> that's what this ministry does. We make known Christ. And when Christ, he says, when Christ is made known, in other words, not just his name, but when you understand the intricacies of his heart, that his view and opinion is, Father, forgive them. Father, I love them. When that view and opinion is made known, Christ begins to appear. And he says, when Jesus Christ is made known, when the praise and honor and glory and splendor and brightness and magnificence and excellence and preeminence and dignity and the grace of Christ is made known. What does he say? He says, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He says, when you make Christ known, doxa is going to show up. The view and opinion of the Lord is going to show up. The glory of God is going to show up. He's not showing up in the Ten Commandments anymore, friends. That glory was a transitory glory. That glory has been made obsolete. That glory has faded away. He's in the glory of His Son. And He says, when His Son is made known, when you preach Christ crucified, when He shows up, He said, then, doxa, the glory of God, the view and opinion of God will be manifest. Another way to say it is when we receive the revelation of the Father's grace, we cannot unsee what we've seen. You cannot unsee it. Once you see it, I know sometimes it takes a while to see it because we're fighting through all this ideology. We're fighting through all this stuff we've been taught and we want to hold on to it. We don't want to get rid of it. They are baby socks and we're not willing to let them go. But when we're willing to say, Father, I'm willing to give the baby socks up, he says, then Christ will be made known. Then the doxa glory, the view and opinion of God will be made known in your life. So what gets in the way? Come on. What gets in the way of both believers and unbelievers walking in the understanding that they have been given the glory that never fades? Friends, it's the old covenant law. That's why it was made obsolete. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Look at these scriptures. I wish I could take credit for writing these because it would just validate everything I've said so far. He says, the former regulation, old covenant of law, now, I didn't add those words. They were in the Bible. The former regulation, Old Covenant Law, is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. Please, if you have the ability to take a snapshot of that in your mind, please do it. It says it right there, that the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. What was that better hope? It was Christ, the anchor of our soul. That hope, he's the hope. So let's ask the closing question. How can that which is perfect, that's the law, not make a single person perfect? Because the law did not deal 
with inner transformation. It dealt with external behavior and commandments. It didn't change hearts. It didn't deal with inner transformation. It could change your mind, but it couldn't deal with the inner core of the man, the heart of the man, the spirit of the man. It couldn't deal on that level right there. Otherwise, Christ died in vain. There would have been no reason for Christ to come and die if the law could have done what it was supposed to do. No, it had a purpose. It was perfect. It was holy. It was righteous, but it's also passed away. The law didn't confront the root of the problem. It condemned the fruit of the problem. That's all the law was there to do. It was to say, you messed up again. You blew it again. See, there was a time when the vehicle I showed you, the one that hit the tree, was pristine. It was on a showroom floor at one time. And a mama walked in there one day and said, I'll take that vehicle right there and wrote the check for it. And then she let her 17-year-old boy have it one night. My nephew Chris said to me, the last thing I heard him say is, hang on, we're going to hit a tree. And three souls were ushered out into eternity just like that. There was one time, friends, when you came to Christ, you thought you were as holy as you're going to get. You thought you were just as righteous as you were going to get. And then something happened along your journey and you felt like your car went into a tree. I'm telling you in Christ, that's impossible. I'm not saying you can't wreck your personal life, but I'm telling you on a spiritual level, you cannot end up a wreck. Why? Because of doxa glory, views and opinions from God that says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In you, I am well pleased. Your sins and lawless deeds, I don't count against you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? Isn't that awesome? Amen, it is. The former regulation, old covenant of law, is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. Do you love that? The law didn't confront the root of the problem. It condemned the fruit of the problem. God did not find fault with the law. He found fault with the people, he said. The law was perfect, but the law did not have ample provision to save a man from his sins. That was, if you want to say, its problem but it wasn't built in. So you can't expect something. I mean, if I open my refrigerator and it doesn't have milk in there, and I do this sometimes, and then I close it, and then five minutes later, I mean, I open it again, milk is not going to suddenly appear. Well, sometimes it does because guys don't see it the first time around, but if it wasn't there to begin with, then it wouldn't be there the second time you opened it, okay? I do that. I was telling Valerie last night, I stand in front of the pantry. I'm like, because she's got me on this low carb diet and, you know, the, the shelves that used to have all my chips on it and all these other things on. I'm like, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, what is this stuff? I mean, this, you don't eat any of this stuff by itself. This is all stuff to make stuff with. And no matter, and then you know what? Then I'll look in the refrigerator, you know, just looking for some sort of snack. And then I'll go back to the pantry. And no more, I said, no more, no matter how many times I look in here, honey, it's not there. And no matter how many times, if the father went looking for your sin, he would say, it's not there. You say, but father, I just said, it's not there. 
That's what the prodigal son did. He came home. He rehearsed all the way home. I'm going to tell my father when I get there, father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against earth. I've sinned against you. And the father just said, nonsense. Cut him right off. Didn't even, didn't even answer him. He just said, bring the robe, <laughs> bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the rebox, bring the roast. That's what I think about you, son. I've got a view and opinion about you that's beyond a pig pen. Yes, in the natural, you put yourself in a pig pen. Yes, in the natural, you blew your inheritance. Yes, in the natural, you hung out with harlots. Yes, in the natural, you closed down the bars. But my view and opinion of you hasn't changed. Who is the culprit in this thing, though, that's really got the bad attitude? That's the older brother. The one that never left church. The one that never left home. The one that didn't go sow his wild oats. And he said, Father, you haven't even given me so much as a goat that I could have with my friends. That's because you haven't asked your daddy. I mean, if the daddy gave the one son, gave them both, actually, he divided it between the two sons. If he gave you the entire inheritance, surely he's going to give you a goat. We try to blame things on the father that he didn't do. I was talking with my brother the other night. I got saved in 1995, and about eight months later, he got in a terrible car accident. He and his wife, she was pregnant with their little girl, had a little two-year-old boy in the back seat. And some little 17-year-old boy was all mad at the world because he broke up with his girlfriend. And there was a hay wagon that backed up vehicles way, way behind it for a quarter of a mile. And he decided to go into the other lane and just blow around all these vehicles. And he hit my brother and my sister-in-law head on and ushered my sister-in-law out into eternity with that baby. That was in May of 1996, and my brother crawled inside of a can that he hasn't crawled out of since. And I was talking to him the other night on the phone, and he said, Brother, you've told me God didn't do this. I've told him that so many times over the years. He said, but God allowed it. And I said, your son, your grown son, I said, if he leaves your home tonight, and he goes out and gets in any form of trouble, is that your fault? He said, well, no. I said, it wasn't God's fault either. God doesn't control us like little puppets. He's given us dominion on this earth. He says, listen, take dominion. So love, dispense grace, dispense mercy, dispense compassion, and just watch what comes back to you. That's heavy, isn't it, man? The law was perfect, but the law did not have ample provision to save a man from his sins. The glory of the law was transitory. That means it was just passing through. Its shine would oxidize and then fade away like flowers, like I said, left at a gravesite. Holding on to the old covenant is like holding on to numbers, the combination, if you will, from a combination lock that you no longer have. Holding on to the old covenant is like holding on to a lottery ticket that wasn't a winner. God has gifted me with the ability to remember numbers. I'll be honest with you. I had a combination lock we hadn't seen in 10 or, 10 or 12 years, 15 years. We found it, and I still remember the combination on that thing. I haven't bought a lottery ticket since I've been saved, 25 years. I just figure, you know, listen, the state gets rich uh, off of losers, not winners. 
I haven't bought one, but I remember in the early days, 1982, I bought my first lottery ticket for the Illinois lottery. I still remember the winning numbers, 2, 3, 10, 26, 30, and 43. Why that stuck in my head, I don't know. I still remember the guy's name that won it. I remember how much he won. I remember where he lived. They just stuck in my head. I don't have a photographic memory. Certain things stick with me. But guess what? That does nothing for me. And I hope you're not impressed because it does nothing for you either. It's just a bunch of extraneous minutia that literally means nothing. I remember the license plate number of, on that Buick Riviera I showed you. I remember almost every license plate number I've ever owned in my life since I started driving. So what? But what does that do for me? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it won't do anything for you either. But I'm telling you, the Father remembers your name. The Father remembers the decision you made to come to Christ. He will never forget that. Our confidence is not in our ability to memorize 613 Jewish laws. That would be a hard thing. That's what they had to do. They had to memorize the Torah. They had to memorize all 613 Jewish laws and then execute them, live by them. Our confidence is not in, even if I could take the time and memorize 613 Jewish commandments, our confidence that we possess is not in that. It's in the glory that never fades. And that glory is found in Christ. Some of my last scriptures. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 4 to 17. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Look at that. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For what does the letter do? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? That's our covenant, friends. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Do you hear glory, 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 doxa, 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 view and opinion of God. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? It doesn't have to be renewed. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Now, he's writing this under a new covenant. And he's saying, even to this day, if you bring in the Old Covenant, there is a veil. Even to this day, if the Old Covenant is studied, if the Old Covenant is read, if you're trying to live by the Old Covenant, he said, there's still going to be this veil. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. And then he jumps up about seven or eight verses. Remember, let's keep this thing in context. To 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, my last scripture. He says, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, look at that, of the glory, the doxa glory of God, the view and opinion of God, to give that glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, or it's saying through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means by the face of Christ. It is the person of Christ. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The Father's view and opinion of us never changes. It is always filled with glory. And Daddy is continuously thinking good things about us. He has rendered obsolete the vehicle that required constant polishing. I'm talking about the polished obedience to the old covenant law. He has vacuumed away our sins by the precious and matchless blood of Jesus Christ. And by one sacrifice, he has made us forever clean. From the cradle to the cross, from the cross to the crypt, from the crypt to the cloud, Jesus has finished the work and given us the new covenant of grace, the covenant whereby the glory never fades. Through the new covenant, he shows us how to take a real rest. Through the new covenant, we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Through the new covenant, we say so long to fading glory, and we say goodbye to the schoolmaster. Through the new covenant, we discover that the baby socks of the old covenant no longer fit us. Through the new covenant, we are no longer tired and worn out and burned out on religion. Through the new covenant, we look into the face of the person of Jesus Christ and we say, thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus's victory over the grave was our victory over the grave. In Christ, the veil that covered our hearts has been taken away. In Christ, the artwork that hung on my wall and reminded me of every failure, of every disappointment, of every accident, and every form of condemnation has been removed. A new picture is hung in its place. It is the crown of glory. For the scriptures plainly tell us that when Jesus, the chief shepherd, appears, when you make him known, you will receive the crown of glory. You will receive the revelation of glory. You will receive the view and opinion from the Father that cannot match anything else in this world. It's far superior. It's a glory, friends, that never fades. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, we praise you, we honor you, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us a glory, the glory that never fades. Father, this is not something we earned. It's not even something we deserved. It was given to us as a gift. I want to thank you for the cross. I want to thank you for Jesus' love for us. I want to thank you for your love for us, Father. I still try to understand that sacrifice. 
while we were just toads hopping across the lawn, while we were snakes slithering through the grass. You had a view and opinion of us that was far above anything we could think or imagine. And it was Jesus' precious blood that ran down his body and dripped from his big toe into the soil, the very soil that we were made out of, Daddy. And I want to thank you, Father. That is the richest blood, and that blood washed away every one of our sins. I want to thank you, Father. We are no longer under this first covenant. We're no longer under the old covenant. We're no longer under the Mosaic law, whereby we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, whereby we grab our own suspenders and we say, look what I've done. No, friends, it's never been about what we've done. It's always been about what he has done. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for this gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.